So what is Goliath? And what what does Goliath represent? That's one of the big questions that we oftentimes want to think about. And, And sometimes when we start to turn Goliath into metaphors for our own personal battles in our life, we can we can actually trivialize Goliath. You could say something like this Parents, keep battling your little Goliaths. Don't give in to them. Your Goliaths, keep fighting them. You know, my little toddler, she's a little Goliath. We battle and we battle. And I get so tired sometimes and she just seems so big. And I just plead for her to take a nap. And sometimes it's a stalemate. And then, just yesterday, we were watching her through the crack of her door during nap time. And we're saying, take a nap, please. And she's sitting in her bed and she wobbles back and forth a little bit. And her eyes start to close. And then, bang! Pillow to the face. Little Goliath is down. Parents one, little Goliath zero. Is that the point of Goliaths? You know? The story of David and Goliath about conquering our children's problems. It's not about that. It's not about conquering Goliaths of bad self-esteem. It's not about conquering Goliaths of bad health or bad credit or bad relationships or bad grades or bad behaving children. When we speak that way, we actually make light of Goliath. What we need to understand here about the story of David and Goliath is that there's a historical context. And so when Goliath breathes out threats, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel. Can somebody bring me a man to fight? This one-on-one combat is not just about the fight between two men. It's representative conflict between the gods. That the gods, the false gods of the pagan Philistines versus the God of Israel. This is the battle that we're talking about. And so it is really a battle between the idols of the Philistines and the Lord God himself. And David and and Goliath is an obstacle in the way of the glory of God. You see it in the text of scripture. We see what Goliath is and how he's an obstacle to this thing very specifically. David says in verse 46 and 47 when he's talking to Goliath. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give you, I will give the dead bodies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You see, Goliath represented an obstacle to the glory of God being known among the nations and amongst Israel. He was defying God by his pride and his assertions that his idols of his pagan gods were better and stronger than God himself. So what is Goliath in our life? Goliath is the idols of the world that assert themselves against God and would make us cower in fear rather than glorify him. These are Goliaths. But here's the problem. We know that Goliath is an imposing reality for Israel and is an imposing reality in our life. See, every day the idols in the world flex their muscles and tell us to be afraid. 
that if we don't submit to them, we will be slaves and our lives will be ruined. And where is God in this? Can we see Him? Can we see Him with our eyes? We can't. But in a way, we can see Goliath. We see Goliath in all places. We see him at the mall. We see him at Costco. We see him on ESPN and Netflix. We see Goliath on the radio. We see him on Spotify. We see him that Goliath is on Instagram. And I tell you, don't follow him on Instagram. He's at our school. And in all of these things, subtly and sometimes overtly, he mocks the Christian vision of the kingdom of God and of Christ and says, you are a fool. It would be better if you just bow down and worship me right now. And this is where the narrative brings us. And the question that we have is, are we, where are we going to focus? Are we going to focus on this giant Goliath as he asserts himself against God? Or will we focus on the living God himself? And in this picture, we, in this story, we see the picture that there's a difference between focusing on the appearances and focusing on the real but unseen living God. You notice one commentator um, writes about this. In chapter 17, we need to remember the message of chapter 16. The message of chapter 16 is this, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And in this light, we might view that the whole story of Goliath and David is an extended illustration of 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the appearances. And it seems that everyone in this narrative is is just focused and totally absorbed on the appearances. In fact, the narrative itself slows down so you notice all of these details. You notice how many pieces of cheese David brings the commanders. We notice how many stones he picks up from the uh, brook. It details where the battle lines are. It tells us about the armor and the advanced weaponry of Goliath, that he's nearly ten feet tall. Almost as tall as the basketball hoops. It focuses, it, we see the details and the appearances. And not only does the narrative get absorbed into these things, show these things, but every character in the story, what happens? They get absorbed by these great appearances. All the men of Israel in the army, David's brother Eliab, Saul the king, and Goliath himself. Just look at the appearances that Goliath and the Philistines and the false gods are stronger. But unlike everybody else, David himself, who is anointed by the Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit, does not focus on the appearances of the conflict, but he's able to focus on the living God himself. And so David is, in a way, a model for us of Christian faith. You see, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit when we believed in Christ. And so, to speak like David, we are anointed with the Holy Spirit and have the spiritual empowerment to focus on the living God himself, rather than on appearances. 
so the question in this narrative, in a way, is what's, how does this difference of focuses play out? Well, it's demonstrated in David's interactions first with the men of Israel, and then his brother Eliab, and then King Saul, and Goliath himself. So first we see the way that the men of Israel and David react. Verse 24, the reaction to to Goliath by all of the men of Israel, the whole army, is this. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, they fled from him and were very much afraid. You see, all the men of Israel were like little girls. I mean, I know some, some tough little girls. That Maybe that's a little bit of a compliment to them. But they were more like scaredy cats. Cockroaches running away. They were totally undone just by the mere sight of this Goliath. And this was but a poor a reflection of the cowardice of their king, Saul himself, who would not go out. You see, 40 days, Goliath, morning and evening, he came out and he defied the God of Israel and nobody answered. We know in the Bible, 40 days is oftentimes a period of testing and so 40 days, Goliath comes out and at the end of 40 days, where we are now, nobody from Israel has come out. After this testing, Israel and their king had failed. Their hearts and their actions had made a concession that their mouths would not make. They had conceded. They had conceded that God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, is actually weaker than the pagan idols and gods of the Philistines. Sometimes our profession of faith is not tested intellectually, but when we are confronted by the idols and the fears of our hearts, this is where our test of our orthodoxy in life comes. We may say with Israel and and Saul himself, yes, I believe in God, the maker of heaven and earth. But when we're faced with Goliath, we run in fear. And can you tell that Israel's focus is off? Because the very next thing that they give as the motivation to fight Goliath is in verse 25. You know, in some ways they're making excuses for why they haven't come. Have you seen him? He's so big. And this is what they say, the reason to go fight him. In verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen him? Surely he comes up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So one of the questions we have is, does our heart and our life make the concession that the idols of the world are stronger than our Redeemer God Almighty? And when we have to resort to material motivations, we say yes. When we say that money or influence or happiness are the reasons that motivate us in God's kingdom, we are saying the idols of the Philistines are more alive than our God. You may remember two years ago when there were about 50 Coptic Christians in Egypt who were killed on Palm Sunday. 
Christian uh, Coptics, Christians had been targeted by uh, militant Muslims and uh, a friend of mine went and spent time discipling and encouraging some Coptic Christians after this period. And that is in some ways a, a major obstacle. Death itself. And so the question, if you were in his position, what would you say to these Coptic Christians for the reason to keep persevering in the Christian life, in God's kingdom, and following him? You say this, follow Christ and his kingdom because it's worth it, because your marriage will be better. Your career will advance. You'll be most happy and find most personal fulfillment in life if you do so. What are they going to say back to you? What will they say? What if their spouse was killed? They're blacklisted from jobs for being a Christian. If these blessings are our reason for continuing in the faith when things get difficult, then any one of us would fear, would flee in fear when these things are taken away. And you notice, none of the men of Israel saw himself didn't come out and fight Goliath because of this. And we see David, in a way, he he just brushes aside this reward. He, he, He doesn't make a big deal of it. It's not important to him. You see exactly the very next thing in verse 26. What is his concern? He says in verse 26... And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, he shows that he is most concerned that God would be honored among the people while Goliath himself is defying God. His concern is the honor of the living God. And this is what puts the strength in his heart and into his bones. It's, it's, it's God's glory over against Goliath. You see, when we ourselves, when we realize that our very purpose in life is that the living God would be glorified, this puts strength in our hearts and joy when we have to face the conflicts of idolatry and sin and even Satan himself. That's what it is. And then we see after, uh, after this, he talks to all the men of Israel and what happens is his older brother, his three older brothers are there. And his oldest brother hears David and, and you know, David is making these big, loud you know, pronouncements and he's sounding really strong. And so if your littlest brother, you hear your youngest brother making these really big statements, bravado and stuff, what are you going to say? I know what's up with you. You're full of You're full of it. And this is exactly what he does. He sees his little brother's confidence and he mocks him. Maybe he's ashamed of being scared and and seeing his younger brother. Maybe that's it. Nonetheless, he mocks his brother and he attacks his motives for coming. In verse 28, he says, basically, you are a reckless little boy. 
you left those sheep all alone in the wilderness and you just came here to be entertained. And the reason you talk all of this game is because you know that you're too young to play in the fight. He says in verse 28, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and the evil in your heart. You just wanted to see the battle. In one way, uh, Eliab is kind of accusing uh, David here of being an armchair quarterback. You know what armchair quarterbacking is? when you're watching the Super Bowl and you're sitting in your lazy boy chair and you're like, I, you're eating your nachos and your dip and you're watching the game and somebody throws the ball and they're supposed to throw it to a wide receiver to catch the touchdown in the end zone and they throw an interception. And you say, if I was in that game, I wouldn't have thrown it to the interception and I would have thrown it to the wide receiver and then those New England Philistines wouldn't have won that Super Bowl and their giant champion, Goliath, wouldn't have been the champions. Right? Yeah, and then and, and Kim Petty, a real Bostonian, responds, you wish because you're only saying that because you would never actually get in the game. Right? And this is what Eliab is basically saying about David. You talk all that because you can't actually get in the game and you just want to come and be entertained. In truth, David is actually coming to rescue the lost sheep of Israel that had essentially been abandoned by Saul. He's not leaving the sheep to be abandoned. He's coming to rescue the lost sheep. And when his own family went off of appearances and accused David of bad motives, he was not discouraged. But he just turned aside and he kept saying the same thing to others. Some of you face family discouragement for following Christ. I've been, I've been uh, fortunate in my life not to have to experience that. Almost everything that I have done, my family has approved. The greatest disapproval in my family with me is that I chose the wrong seminary to go to. Which isn't really bad. But some of you face persecution from your family. Some of you face your family thinking that you come for bad and selfish motives. And you know, family approval, it is a good thing to have. But here's the question. Will you keep pursuing God and his mission when you do not have the approval of your family? Will you keep pursuing after God and following in his church and his mission when your family actually thinks that your motivations are completely wrong? David just turned aside from Eliab and kept on saying, do you see what this Philistine is doing? He is coming against God. And he continues. And I know that this is very hard. But with spiritual maturity and as we focus on the living God himself, we can do this, empowered by the Spirit, to keep going, to keep going.
even when your family doesn't understand. And this is what David does. And so after David talks to his brother, the word gets out that David is talking this big talk. And so he comes to Saul. So the next several verses are the story of Saul's interaction with David. And Saul himself ends up being focused on the appearances. Now if David is, is like uh, Mario, um, facing Saul is like two levels that he has to face before getting to face Bowser. And Bowser being Goliath. But there's two parts here. The first part in, in this conflict is that he has to prove to Saul that he is capable without becoming proud and focused on himself. And the second level that he comes up against is by not being allured by Saul's shiny armor and weapons and becoming self-reliant. See, the temptation that he faces against Saul in both levels is, is to put his confidence elsewhere and to lose his focus from the Lord. So in, in level one, where he first has his interaction with Saul, Saul's not going to send David against Goliath because he recognizes that Goliath has been a warrior since the time that David has basically been born. He says um, that Goliath was a warrior from his youth, and you are but a youth. And basically, it's this saying, what you got, boy, show me how you got what it takes. And he says, you don't have it. And he's not going to let him fight because he's looking at the appearances. And so now David has to show why he can go against Goliath. And in some sense, he actually, he shows his track record in verse 34 to 36. He says, look, I used to be a shepherd. I'm a shepherd out in the wilderness and I would watch sheep in the wild. One time a lion came and it would snatch a lamb from the flock or another time it happened to be a bear. And I would go up to that bear and I'd go up to that lion and I'd take my slingshot and I struck him. And then if they got up, I would grab that lion by the beard and I would punch him out and he would die. That's pretty incredible. I mean, if that were me, I would, you know, they didn't have Facebook or Instagram or cameras, but I would have been like, look at me. I killed this thing. Now notice what David himself says the very next thing. After he's just proven, look, I have killed these animals with my slingshot and my hands. He says this. He does not say, Saul, do you see these hands? These are the hands of a man. These are the hands of a champion. These are your hands that are going to defeat Goliath. That's not what he says. Even when talking about punching out a line, he doesn't boast about himself. He says this in verse 37. He says to Saul, Saul, remember your God. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. The Lord who delivered me. 
Even when he's showing the past things that he has done, he's saying it was God and his faithfulness who delivered me. Not these hands, he says. The Lord himself. And so we're reminded of Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 that says this. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. Let him boast that he understands and knows me. Let him boast that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord.